Welcome to an inspirational message from Creekwood Church. We hope that you have an encounter with God and discover practical ways to help you live a life of purpose. Hey guys, how are we doing today? Everybody doing well? Awesome. So glad to be with you guys. I love your church. Really do. Not just saying that because it's like the obligatory guest speaker thing to do. Uh, Matt and I have been friends for a while, like he said, and we have been doing summer camp with your student ministry team for eight years. And I got to tell you, you guys have the best kids. Like they're so much better than our kids. Like (laughs) so much better. Uh, We love you guys so much. I love your team. Uh, Steven and my pastor John have been friends since they were in college around the end of the Crimean War. Um, It's just a great, you have a great church. You really, really do. I I love how you value next-gen ministry students and kids. You guys do that so well and invest so well. So what I'm going to say today is going to, it's just going to be an encouragement to you. What I feel like God's put on my heart, just to encourage you to keep going in the direction you're going, because I feel like you guys do such a great job uh, with the next gen at your church. So I want to introduce you to my family. Uh, They were here last night, not able to be here today because my son has a soccer game. If you have a parent, if you have a kid in the room, you know what's up with that. Uh, So this is a picture of my family. My wife, Summer, and I have been married for 15 years. Uh, this is my oldest son, Liam. He's three. Uh, he's currently asking the Lord to give him the whole world. Uh, and he executes his global domination by hitting me in the head with a Tonka truck. I guess he figures if he can take me out first, the rest of the world will be easy for him. And then this is Beckett. He's 16 months old now, and he is just the most Jesus-like human being I've ever met. He is so sweet. God gave us him because he gave us Liam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> uh, I do. I love your church. Uh, I love Stephen and, and Sarah and Matt. I've spent a lot of time with them. I love them, uh, but I got to tell you guys, I don't trust them. I just don't. I'll tell you why I don't trust them. We went to Costa Rica two years ago, uh, some of our team and Sarah and Matt and Stephen, to do some, some mission work, and we were on a plane, and it was a very early flight. I'm tall. I'm 6'4", and so planes and showers in uh, uh, hotels and beds, and most things weren't made for me. It's discrimination. Y'all pray that our country changes. Um, But I was on a plane, and I was really tired, and it was kind of an empty plane, and so I I had a whole row to myself. So I flipped up all the, uh, the armrests, and I laid down, and I went to sleep. About 30 minutes into my, my glorious nap, uh, a man tapped on my feet, like really hard tapped on my feet. And I opened my eyes, and it was a very large man, like a linebacker for the Cowboys, like really built guy with this deep, like, very white voice. And he's holding a credit card machine. And he says, excuse me, sir, did you pay for all three of these seats? I said, no, I didn't pay for all three of these seats. He said, well, you're going to have to pay for all three of these seats because you're using all three of these seats. I said, I ain't paying for all three of these seats. He said, well, I I work for the airline, and I need your credit card right now. And I said, I'm going to need your badge number, your boss's number, your address, your social security number. I'm going to need all that because, like, me and you, no, I ain't giving you, no, I'm not paying for all three. And he's, like, at this point a little shaken up because, y'all, look, I love Jesus, and I'm nice, but I don't like being woke up. Like, I just don't like being woke up. And so he's a little nervous at this point, and so he smiles. He, like, cracks. He smiles and looks over at Matt and Stephen and Sarah and says, hey, you have your friends to thank for this. I said, they ain't my friends. (laughs) They ain't my friends. So I love them but I don't trust them. All right, so, so today I want to I read to you an account of when Jesus and Peter first met. 
Peter's name was Simon then, and, and we're going to read from Luke's gospel. Uh, Luke was a doctor, and so Luke went straight to the point, uh, a, lot, a lot of just fact in Luke's account of the gospel. And so in his historical document called the Gospel of Luke, he recounts the story of when Jesus met Simon and his brothers, Simon Peter. Peter was a fisherman. His dad before him was a fisherman. It was the family business. And so they were out fishing with many other fishermen this night, and they met. And here's the story in Luke chapter 5, if you have a Bible on your phone or if you have a paper Bible. If not, it's going to be on the screen either way. Uh, You can follow along. Here's, Here's the story. It says, One day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Great crowds pressed in to listen to him, uh, to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, Peter, its owner, to push the boat out into water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out to where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all night. Last night, and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. I, I love this story. I, we're going to pause right here. I, I love this because Peter is a professional fisherman. And Jesus is a carpenter and a rabbi. And these guys had been fishing all night, all their lives. They had caught nothing. They didn't have the wrong bait. They didn't have the wrong boat. They didn't have the wrong strategy. The fish just weren't biting. And here comes a preacher saying, let me tell you how to run your business, buddy. I just kind of imagine like Peter probably in this moment is wondering, how do I respond? How do I respond when God is asking me to do something that I think I know I'm better at than him? How do I respond when God is asking me to to go out a little deeper than where I've been before? How do I respond when God is asking me to do it one more time? When God is asking me to pray it, Once again, when God is asking me to serve yet another, how do I respond when it seems like what I have been doing has come up empty and here comes God saying, I have a plan. Why don't you, why don't you try one more time? And I I tell you what I want my response to be. I want it to be what Peter's is. Well, if you say so, God, if you say, I want to live a life that models this, if you say so, what if we were a church That whatever God put on our heart, whatever need there was in our community, whatever area there was in our church that needed someone to step in and serve, whatever hurt, whatever broken heart that there was in our neighborhood or at our job or even in the hallway down from us in our home, we said, God, whatever you want, if you say so, I'll respond. If you say so, I will go because I believe this. A lot of times people say about church, they say, I just want to go deeper. And a lot of times what that means is like, oh, I wish we had more songs or I wish he would talk about more Greek words or I wish he would like unpack more of the history and, and all that stuff's good and fine. And I've got a degree in Bible and we could stand up here all day and confuse, confuse each other with theology. But I think sometimes we miss the point because deeper in Jesus doesn't necessarily mean Greek and Hebrew and more songs, though sometimes it might. I think deeper in Jesus more often means just obedience. I think it just means taking the next step. I I think it just means what is God asking you presently to do, and are you responding if you say so? 
I think that's deeper. And I think Peter learned that tonight. And it would be a lesson that his whole life he would see the fruit of. He learned that lesson that obedience always precedes blessing. Always. Taking the next step that God has right in front of you always precedes blessing because God is a better blank than I am. God is always, he's a better fisherman than Peter. God is a better dad than me. God is a better husband than I am. God is a better pastor. God is a better teacher. Jesus is a much better businessman than me. Jesus is a better realtor than me because Jesus like made the whole universe. Jesus is a much better blank Fill in the blank with whatever you are or wherever you're at in life than any of us are. And so obeying him does not limit me to my ability and my capacity. And this is the beauty of Christianity. It's that when I step out in obedience to God, I am not on the hook for the results. He is. And it is his unlimited supply. I fish with my bait and my boat and come up empty. But Jesus created the seas, and Jesus made the fish, and Jesus is a much better fisherman than Peter, and I think Peter learned that. Some of us are one obedient step away from blessing in our life. One conversation with your spouse that you've been putting off could change your whole marriage. That you know God is saying something. You know there's tension. You know there's some unsaid things, and you know God's been speaking to your heart. Just, just talk about it. One decision in your business could change the whole game. You, you know there's some things that need to be fixed. And you've been ignoring it. You, you know there's some corners being cut. And you've been kind of turning an eye to it. One obedient step. Because God can do in one moment on a boat and a lake what, what teams of professional fishermen couldn't do in a lifetime. And if that lesson applies to these guys here, it applies to us. Some of us are one moment away with our kids. One obedient, I'm sorry. One obedient, I got it wrong. One obedient, I wish I wouldn't have. Can you forgive me and can we change? One obedient step away from blessing. I learned this in my life about six years ago, many times, but about six years ago in particular, my wife came to me, and we'd been married for 10 years, and she said, Josh, I think that we're supposed to lead a small group, a home group for newlywed couples, and I said, woman, I think you miss God. <laughs> like, I don't, I'm always at church, like, I'll go to a group. I'll like be a part of a group. I don't want to teach a small group. You got to cook. You got to put everything in the guest bedroom so they don't see how messy you are. Like, I don't want to do all that. And she said, uh, hey, pastor, why don't you pray about it? Well, what do you say about that, right? <laughs> what do you do with that? So I prayed about it, and, and I, we felt like we were supposed to do it. But, but it was wild because our, our first year, I mean, these are newlyweds, and they're going to come to us and ask us about marriage. Now, we've been married 10 years, but the first year of our marriage, they made a movie about it a few years back. It's called Trainwreck. <laughs> it was bad. It was bad, y'all. It's a miracle that she stayed. I, what, do we, what do we have to offer? What do we have to give these, these, these couples? I, I didn't, I, I, but we, we felt like God spoke to us and told us to do it. And so we opened our home to these newlywed couples, six or seven of them. And they're our best friends now. 
And, and we're talking about, about vacations together. We, we go to the lake all the time. And we're talking about how our kids are going to grow up and get married and all this stuff. Some of, our, some of them actually came last night to, to one of the services here to support me. And they're, they're friends now that are like family. But it was one obedient step that created that environment. It was one obedient step. I, I would have never imagined that God had six years on the other side of that step, what we're experiencing now in community. For some of us, small groups, home groups right here at Creekwood, we're one step into community away from possibly unlocking lifelong friendships that are life-giving, that aren't just going to be good for you, but they're going to be good for your kids, and, and here's another great plus. This is not even, they didn't ask me to do this. This is free. You guys don't even have to pay me. Here's another great plus about community and small groups. Tonight, my wife and I are babysitting for one of our couples in our small group. And next week, they're babysitting for us, and it's free. <laughs> it's like, praise God for the church, man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't have to pay for a babysitter. It, we would have never known when we took that step, but one obedient step sometimes, we are away from blessing. And so Peter took the step. He went deeper. He did something Jesus asked him to do, Jesus' way. And in verse 6, here's the results. It says, and at this time, their nets were so full that they began to tear. They had more than they, they could ever need. They went from having an empty boat to having more than they could ever ask for. Some of us have experienced that. Some of us in the room know what it's like to have an empty boat. Some of us in the room know what it's like to come from nothing. Some of us in this room know what it's like for the, for the business to go up, belly up. Some of us know what it's like to file for bankruptcy, to foreclose the house. Some of us know what it's like to be raised in a home without encouragement, without the love that we needed, without the support that we needed. Some of us know what it's like to be that young person, that teenager, that 15, 16-year-old wondering, is God real like they talked about earlier? Does God matter? Does God care? They, they experienced in a moment with Jesus what it, went, what it was like to go from having an empty boat to having an overflowing boat because that's what Jesus always does. Jesus loves empty boats. Jesus is always looking for empty boats. If you're here today and you feel like you're unqualified, you're disqualified, there's no place for you, you've done so many things that would separate you from God, you've done so many, like it's a miracle that you didn't get struck by lightning when you walked in the door, your boat's not just empty, but it's full with all the wrong things. Let me just tell you, you are exactly the one that Jesus was praying for this morning that would walk in the door because he loves empty boats. Jesus does miracles with empty boats. That's exactly what he did in this situation. He took an empty boat. He took a fisherman who had a crew that he was going to have to go tell, guys, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can pay you today. And those guys were going to have to go home and tell their families, well, I, we didn't have a catch tonight, so we're going to have to make do with, with last week's groceries. I, I don't know how we're going we're gonna to pay the bills this week. He, he had to face all in one moment. He went from that stress, that anxiety, those worries, those the feeling of inadequacy. I tried my best and it didn't work. I, I, I resonate with this. To a full boat overflowing more than he could possibly need. I, I, if you go back thousands of years from this story to the foundations of our faith in the Hebrew Bible, God meets a man named Abram. And he changed his name to Abraham because that's what God does. He changes you. That's what God wants to do is to change you. 
from the inside out. So he changed his name to Abram. And when God met Abraham, Abraham had no sons. And that was a big deal because Abraham wanted an heir. And he was 99 years old. And he had no, no heir to leave his property and his, 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 uh, everything he had too. And so he prayed. And God said, I'm going to give you a son. And there, there's one letter in the promise of God to Abraham that, that literally changed history. One letter that was missed. Because when God made the promise to Abraham, here's what he said. He said, I'm going to make you have descendants that are as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. And you're going to be the father. And you're going to bless many nations. You're going to be the father of many nations. There's an S on the end of that word. It's plural. But Abraham took that. He took that promise, and through his lineage, a son was born, and Israel would be formed as a nation, and Israel would build a wall around their city, and Israel would build a temple, and outsiders weren't welcome, and everybody outside the wall was called a Gentile, and they would collect their temple tax and their money, and they would spend it on them, and they would keep it for them, and they would build their kingdom, so much so that in the New Testament, when Peter, after Christ's resurrection, was, was, was going to have a meal with a person who wasn't a Jewish person, it was a matter of conscience to him, because we don't eat with Gentiles. They took the promise of God to be a blessing to the nations and made it about themselves. And it was to the detriment not only of the rest of the world around them, but so much so that when Jesus came, many people who were alive that day and even still today missed Jesus because of one letter. One letter. I, I don't know about you, but I do this in my life. I'm, I am tempted in my life to take when God increases me, when God fills my boat, when God blesses me, when God provides overflow in my life, I'm tempted to make it about me and my security and the things that I want. When I, when I get a raise, I'm tempted to think, ooh, wow, a new iPhone just came out. I, I only have a seven. They have a 10 now. A 10's better than seven. I, I passed like third grade. Like 10's definitely better. Than, I, sh- I should get that. I need that. I, well, I deserve that. I worked hard. I, it's easy for me when, when there's equity in the home to think, oh man, wow, we can sell this and upgrade because that's what you do, right? There's nothing wrong with that, but, but that's my immediate thought. When I get a promotion, it's easy to think, wow, it's about time somebody noticed me. It's about time I got the, the respect and validation that I deserved and I'm gonna leverage my power to show everybody that they should have given me this a long time ago. It's easy when I get a compliment to think, finally, They recognize my beauty. It's easy for me to take when God blesses me and God increases me and God adds to me to make a bank out of everything he gives me. When God gives me grace, it's easy for me to receive that grace. It is not so easy for me to give that grace on Broad Street to the other drivers. (laughs) Israel became a bank of the presence of God, of the blessing of God, and of the favor of God. And this beautiful story in the book of Luke when God first called the first disciple showed that Jesus wanted to change the game, showed that Jesus wanted to make a whole new thing on the earth. So look what it says in verse seven. It says, a shout 
for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon the boats were filled on the verge of sinking. They, Peter could have got all the fish he could have handled and went home and said, boys, we're going to party tonight. He could have went home and sold the fish at market and took his wife out and said, babe, put on your best dress. We're going to Del Frisco's tonight. Not the regular one, the, the prime one. <laughs> He could have done that, but he didn't because just a few minutes ago, he had an empty boat. Just a few minutes ago, he knew what lack was. Just a few minutes ago, he had doubt in himself. Just a few minutes ago, he had no hope. Just a few minutes ago, he hadn't met Jesus. That's where a lot of us were. That's where a lot of us have been. And he looked back into the harbor and he said, there's enough for me and for you. There's enough for me and for you. Hey, guys, why don't y'all come? There's enough for me and for you. Hey, come here, come here. Bring your boat over here. I, I, know, I know what you're feeling. I know the anxiety. I know the stress. I know what it's like to get to the end of the month and not have enough money. Come here, come here, come here. There's enough for me and for you. I, I, listen, I know what it's like to feel alone. Come here, come here, come here. There's enough for me. There's enough for you. Hey, come here. I know what it's like to feel dirty, to feel like you don't fit in, to feel like you're disqualified. And, and listen, listen, there's enough grace for me and enough grace for you. Come on, come on, get some fish, come on. God always blesses people who look back for empty boats. God always blesses people who remember that you weren't always a full boat yourself. And look back and say, where are the empty boats in my life? I experienced this as a young person when I was 17. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't own a Bible. I couldn't tell you what John 3.16 said. I didn't know a single song I, I, I was, I was awkward. It was awkward for me to go to church. So I was 17 years old. I got invited to go to a youth service on a Friday night by a girl, and I went because she was pretty, and that was it. And she didn't even show up. What a bait and switch. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> if you do that, tell them to go to uh, Mansfield Presbyterian or something, <laughs> not Creekwood. I'm joking. So I sat on the third row, and a young man got up and preached. It was kind of like next-gen night. He got up and preached, and he talked about how his father and mother got a divorce when he was one. and He didn't really know his dad. His dad lived in Germany. And he said, I don't, I don't really have a dad, but I've got a father. God's been my father my entire life. And he said, if you're here, and, and, and maybe that's you, right now in this moment, God wants to say to you, I'll, I'll call you son. You can call me father. And I was sitting right there on the third row, and that was my story. My mom and dad divorced when I was one, and I didn't know my dad. I met my dad when I was 10 for the first time, and I had no idea who he was. He knocked on the door. We lived in Orlando, and I said, Mom, there's some guy named Willie here. And she said, Willie who? I said, Willie Wright. He's got the same name as me. She said, that's your dad. I said, oh, cool. I'm going to play Nintendo. <laughs> I didn't know my dad. My dad's a career criminal. Dad's never had a job in his life. He's a gambler. He was abusive. And... That was his story, and it was my story, and there was enough grace for him to preach that message for me. And there was a man in our church named Randy Spates. He owned Spates Pest Control. He drove a Nissan single cab pickup truck with a dead, flipped up, upside down bug on the top of it. <laughs> I don't even know if he graduated college. I know he didn't go to seminary. I never heard anybody pray like Randy Spates. Never. 
And when Randy Spates bought his son a shirt, he bought me a shirt. Because my mom didn't have a lot of money. She went through a few divorces. When he prayed for his son, he prayed for me. And when his kids went to camp, I went to camp. My youth pastor, Timmy and Marsha, had a basket beside their bed, beside their couch in their living room, with a blanket and a pillow. They said, standing invite, son. If it gets rough at home, you just come over. You don't even have to call. My senior pastor, David and Debbie Wooten, gave me a key to their house and said, no explanation needed, just show up. Stephen's going to be out in the lobby with keys to his house if you guys want any after you leave today. (laughs) (laughs) What message did they preach to that 17-year-old boy spent most of his life on food stamps, living in a single-wide trailer, not knowing who was going to be there? cooking for myself at at nine, taking care of myself at nine, ten years old? What message did they say about Jesus? What message did they say about the church? They said, there's more than enough for you too. And he recognized an empty boat. They saw a 17-year-old who needed hope, and they had enough to give, and they gave it. And I'm here today because of some guys who did that. What if we were a whole church who saw our city like that? What if instead of church being heaven practice, I don't believe that's good theology. What if church was just earth practice? What if church was job practice and neighborhood practice? Here's what I mean. What if we came and served here with people who love us and are going to smile so that we can learn how to give to people who give nothing back so that when we go out there, that's our life. That's a lifestyle. This is a tithe. It's not the end of all things. What if we were generous here as just a way to learn generosity so that we went out there, we were generous all the time? What if we lived a life of worship here so that we went out there, we lived a life of worship there when the rest of the world's freaking out about politics and and, and like the craziness of everything going on in our world, that we have peace because we learned peace here and we took peace there. What Israel did was got peace and kept it in the four walls of the city. What Israel did was got grace and kept it in the temple. What Jesus did was unleash the church on the world. And said, let grace spill out of the walls. Let generosity flow into the streets. Let love reach the Jew and the Gentile. Let this gospel go forth all the way up and down the streets of every city in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And that includes Mansfield. That includes Mansfield. So what this means is that we change one word. One word in our life. When God increases us when we now I I know all of our needs aren't all of the things we want or maybe all the things that we need right now maybe there are some of us here with great need maybe there are some of us here going through some things right now I'm not discounting that but but I would say that in relationship to the rest of the world we are very blessed we are very blessed and most of us have more than enough So when we recognize that blessing, when we recognize that overflow financially, with our time, with talent that God's given you, some of you have stories, some of you have experiences. You started a business from scratch. 20 years later, you've got two or three franchises. Where's the young entrepreneur that you're saying, come learn from me? There's more than enough. 
Some of us didn't grow up in church and God radically changed us at 16, 17, 18 years old. Be the, kid, be the adult in some other kid's life that you wish you had when you were that age. See, one word, one word, change one word in your vocabulary. When God brings increase instead of saying, God, what is this for? Because it isn't as easy to do that. There's a lot of what's that flash on our screens, that flash on the billboards beside us. There's a lot of what's when we drive past the new neighborhood in town and ours is only two years old and this one's two months. And There's a lot of what's that, get, that get, try to get our attention. God, instead of what is this for? What if we as a church and you as a person and you as a family said, you as a young person said, God, who is this for? Where are the empty boats in my life? Maybe it's a teenager on a Wednesday night who's experiencing the same empty boat that you used to experience when you were her age. Don't miss her boat. Maybe it's a kid in Haiti who will never have to experience an empty boat again because you leverage your overflow for his good. Don't miss his boat. Maybe God can use your overflow to resource his dreams for Creekwood and Mansfield and beyond. Don't miss the boat. Maybe there's an empty boat on your street, across the office, standing beside you in Pilates class, or even down the hallway in your home. Don't miss the boat. I don't believe God's called us to be banks. I believe what Jesus did was eradicate the bank system when he, when he started the church. I don't believe God's called us to be banks. I believe he's called us to be funnels. See, a bank is about storing and, and spending. Storing, saving, spending. A funnel is about receiving and giving. Receiving, I've been given grace, I give grace. I've been given love, I give love. I've been given resources, I give resources. I've been given talent, I leverage my talent for the kingdom. I've been given a business, God, how can I use this business for you? I'm a, I'm a carpenter, but I'm a carpenter building for the kingdom, not just for people's homes. I lay pipe, but I'm not just laying pipe for, for money, I'm laying pipe because there are people in the pipe business that need to know Jesus. How can I take, God, what you've given me and leverage it for a who, not a what? And, he, and here's what I just believe as we close. In my life, I, I don't believe God has favorites, but I do. And I tell you who they are. My favorite people are the people who love my kids. My favorite people are the ones who, when my three-year-old boy comes in roaring like a dinosaur, because that's what he does. He's a three-year-old boy, and that's what they do. My favorite people are the one who gets on their knees and roar back. My favorite people are the ones who would do anything for my kids. My favorite people are the ones who acknowledge my kids. Do you know that more people come to know Jesus Christ between the ages of 13 and 17 than all other ages combined? Do you know that more people walk away from the church between the ages of 18 and 24 than all other ages combined? We have our work cut out for us. And so I don't know who the who is in your life. I don't know where the empty boat is in your world. It may be your partner. It may be your spouse. It may be your, your mom or dad. I, I, that's fine. But I pray that it's a kid. I, I pray that it's a young person. Because I'm not, I'm not scared about your faith. You're here. I'm scared about the next generation. I'm not worried about our faith. I'm worried about theirs. But I won't be worried about it if in this room 
in Mansfield, God would call some Randy Spates, some Tim and Marshas, some David and Debbies to just see a 17-year-old broken boy. Say, there's more than enough. So, two questions. Number one, maybe you want to take a picture of this and jot it down or write it down. Two questions, two prayers to pray this week. Number one, God, where are the empty boats in my life? I pray you never, ever, ever again walk through anything in life without seeing empty boats. I pray you, you, you go to work and God just shows you immediately who needs, who needs grace. Students, I pray that as you go to school this week, you, you can't ignore the people on the locker beside you who need acceptance. I, I pray that you never miss another person sitting at a lunch table by themselves again. I pray that you, I pray there's not one that, that our, our kids' ministry and our youth ministry at Creekwood never, ever, ever again have an empty spot on a Sunday or a Wednesday. I pray there's a wait list to get in on student ministry and kids' ministry at this church because we are a church that doesn't miss boats. And here's the thing. If we do that here and practice that here and let it overflow out there, God might change this whole city. Number two, God, how can you use the overflow in my life? I pray that's a who. I pray that's a face. And I pray it's a kid. Let's pray. God, I love you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for seeing me. An empty boat, nothing to offer, nothing special. No pedigree, no money, no family. But you called me and you filled me. And you called some men in my church, in my community, to come alongside me and invest. Thank you, Jesus, that when I was 19 and didn't have a car to get to Bible college, that the men's Bible study at New Life in Westover, Alabama paid for me a car. That when I couldn't afford camp, my church paid for me to go to camp because you called me into ministry at Spring Hill Camp in Alabama. Let us be a church that looks for empty boats. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more messages and information about Creekwood Church, visit us at creekwoodchurch.com.